0: This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our new podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we'll be looking each week at some of the key stories in Southeast Asia, as covered by RFA. This week, I'm joined by Yang Nguyen of RFA's Vietnamese service, who will be speaking with me about the plight of independent journalists inside Vietnam as that country tightens its vice on free expression ahead of next January's Communist Party Congress, where it will anoint new leaders. But first, we turn to Myanmar and the bitter fighting that has plagued the western state of Rakhine for much of the past two years. The insurgent Arakan army and the government military, the Tatmadaw, have been locked in a bitter and bloody war that has displaced close to a quarter of a million people. And yet, in the aftermath of elections on November 8, that saw Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy win another five years in office, there's been a let-up in the fighting. There are also rumblings that the Arakan army and the Tatmadaw have started to talk and not just shoot at one another. To discuss these events with me, I'm joined by Jor Min Tun, a senior editor with RFA Burmese.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So perhaps you can set the scene a little bit for us. What are the Arakan army actually fighting for?
1: Uh, Arakan army is fighting for self-determination of the Arakanese people. And its leader expressed last year, their goal is autonomous confederate state, like an ethnic region at the Chinese border in northeast Myanmar, which is controlled by the most powerful ethnic war army and out of central government's control. So they started attacking in uh, January 2019, and then government started counter-offensive in the region since. So the fighting has been nearly two years now.
0: And it's been very intense fighting, I understand. I mean, there have been airstrikes. And artillery strikes. There's been a, a widespread impact on the population in the north of Rakhine State. How many people have been displaced by the fighting?
1: More than 226,000 people, according to RFA data, has been displaced by the fighting in Rakhine and neighbouring Chin State. 300 civilians has been killed by the crossfire, and 600 people were injured so
0: far. And we don't know how many of the Tatmadaw have been killed and injured, right?
1: No, both AA and Tatmadaw, the military did not reveal their causality by the fighting.
0: Okay, so the fighting's been very intense for the past two years. I mean, it, it seems to have been one of the most bitter ethnic conflicts that Burma's seen for quite a few years. So what's happened since the election that happened on November 8th?
1: That's very interesting development. A few days after November 8th general elections, A.A. Rebels issued a statement calling Myanmar government to hold by elections in conflict areas in Rakhine State, where about 1.2 million voters were denied to vote due to their own conflict. So the Myanmar government's military uh, immediately welcomed the move. So this week, A.A. told RFA that, It had even online peace talk conference uh, with the military negotiation team.
0: Hmm, Very interesting. What did the Arakan army say that was discussed in that call?
1: In the call, they said to hold the elections and also to get access to food for the people in the region where military has allegedly blocking the transportation of food and supplies uh, to the people in the region.
0: I think both sides have said that they've spoken through intermediaries as well.
1: Yes, even the government militaries said they have talked through the intermediary organisations, but they don't reveal what organisations are involved. But some analysts and local residents pointed out about the involvement of the Japanese embassy
0: and a Japanese foundation there. It's a big deal that there is this kind of contact after this fighting. But what are the obstacles to reaching some sort of peace?
1: Number one major obstacle is the uh, terror designation by the government. And number two is political willingness from both military and the Anadi government to give more representation in the nation and state government. In terms of military, they need to recognize it as a Rakhine-based armed group. They must recognize territory present in the Rakhine state which has been a big issue in peace negotiation talks over the past 10 years. And on the government uh, side, and that the government should give fair share of power to Rakhine Major Party representatives in the parliament, both in state government as well, as well as the uh, national government too.
0: Right, right. Do you think that the military be, will be pressing for the AA to be laying down its arms?
1: No, Given the situation with other ethnic groups, the NHL-NCA national ceasefire agreement that only require to cease the fire. I mean, they should give designated territory for the river groups. So it not need to be disarmed immediately.
0: Right, right. And obviously there's been um, very limited progress so far in efforts to reach peace talks and political talks with different ethnic groups not just in Rakhine, but all over Burma. What do you expect to happen with the situation in Rakhine? I mean, do you think that peace is coming or, or not?
1: Right now, ceasefire in the state is there, but very fragile. The people uh, and organizations are asking to governments and the military to see the opportunity to hold direct talks with the AA. Given all the situations considered, uh, I think the election will be held before the end of the month. But ceasefire talks and the lasting peace could take much longer than most anticipated.
0: Right. And there's always a chance that fighting could resume, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Now, for most of our listeners, I think Rakhine State would be better known as the scene of the brutal crackdown in 2017 by Burmese security forces on the Rohingya Muslim minority that forced about three quarters of a million of people to flee to Bangladesh. Can you tell me what impact has the fighting between the Arakan army and the Tatmadaw had on the Rohingya who remain in Rakhine state?
1: Three townships in northern Rakhine state where fire fighting had been taking place over the past two years are Rohingya population centers, Maungdaw, Rathedown, and Budidown townships. Hundreds of thousands of Muslim Rohingyas are still living there and had been under constant crossfire from the conflict. Uh, several deaths and injuries are uh, reported in past two years. Due to the armed conflicts in the region, the United Nations sponsored uh, repatriation of some 74,000 Rohingya refugees from Bangladesh was suspended under further notice. The refugees fled the country during the uh, 2017 military offensives, and since are living in the crowded camps in Bangladesh. After the November eight election, Bangladesh expressed hope for resumption of the uh, repatriation program, but the Myanmar government responded, it's not ready to do so.
0: I see. I mean, if they do manage to reach some sort of ceasefire or or moves towards peace with the Arakan army to improve the security situation in Rakhine, do you think it could make it easier for the Rohingya to return from Bangladesh?
1: That is the reason given by the Myanmar government and uh, the military, but it is just conditional things. But the deep rooted problem has been the citizenship and the recognition of the, their name. Their term, the ethnic identity, which is Rohingya, which was largely unrecognized and even outlawed in Burma.
0: Right, right. I mean, it, it seems like this core issue, core issues are not just about security, but Rohingya's demands for basically being recognized as uh, citizens of Myanmar. Uh, yes, citizens My- also
1: at the groups as a minority at the inclusive.
0: Right. And uh, yeah, there's obviously a lot of antipathy towards Rohingya inside Myanmar. Thank you, Jormington, for talking us through those developments in Rakhine State. We'll have to watch and see if peace does beckon or not. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jormington. And now we turn to Vietnam. This week, Amnesty International issued a report that highlighted how, of the 170 prisoners of conscience in the communist governed country, 69 are in prison for their social media activities. That's a sign of a long-standing problem that's only getting worse. Authorities are cracking down on independent voices, among them bloggers and journalists. I'm joined by Yang Nguyen of RFA Vietnamese. Hi, Yang, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Great, great. First of all, we got some very bad news recently about one of our own people. Can you tell us about the situation of cameraman Win Van Hoa?
2: Yes, Nguyen Wanghua is uh, 25 years old. He's a citizen journalist who has been contributing videos of the Formosa chemical spill that happened in 2016, and he's been contributing to RFA uh, since then, so providing very important um, news and footage out of the country. And he has been in prison for these activities since 2017. And just recently, we uh, learned from his older sister who went to visit him in prison that he has been on a hunger strike going on almost two weeks or more now to protest the inhumane treatment that he has been receiving in prison. So what we learned from the sister is that he has put on prison garb, which he refused to do prior to this occasion. Um, but he, he did so in order to be able to come out and see his sister to tell her that he has been on a hunger strike she described being shocked by what she saw. She could barely recognize her brother. He was so weak and exhausted. He had to be supported by another person just to come out and see her. So it's very, very concerning, the status of his um, health situation. And another thing that we found, um, we, we learned, is that it seems that there's a collective hunger strike going on at this Andean prison. Besides Nguyen Van Hoa, Two others have joined him in this hunger strike, two prominent prisoners of conscience to provide solidarity and also protest the the treatment that they've been receiving. These prisoners say that they are not allowed to correspond with their families, sending letters, receiving letters. They're being held very far from their families, which makes it very hard to visit them, protesting things like having to wear the prison garb, the inhumane treatment that they are receiving.
0: It's a sign of just the the harsh treatment that political prisoners get in Vietnam. Have we had any more recent update on Hua's conditions since his sister visited? I think it was on November 26th and now we're December 3rd.
2: We have not, but, um, you know, the prisoners are only allowed one visit per month and um, we've already heard that they're not receiving or allowed to correspond. So what we can count on is that the prisoners uh, that are striking in solidarity stagger their their visits, but we have not heard um, more about him since that visit from his sister.
0: I mean, it, it's clear that Vietnamese authorities really don't like the kind of critical coverage that uh, international media provide of you know what's happening in, in Vietnam, and that includes RFA. We've got two other contributors for RFA, bloggers who are currently in prison. Can you maybe tell us a bit about them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Nguyen Van Hoa is not the only one. There's Trung um, Nguyen Nhật, who is a a blogger, and um, previously already served prison time for criticizing the government. And he uh, was arrested earlier in 2019 in Thailand, where he was seeking asylum actually, um, political asylum, but he we later found out he was abducted by authorities and earlier this year was sentenced to 10 years in prison, a sentence that was later then upheld on appeal. In his case, the government used a uh, corruption charge stemming from a decades-old incident where they say he abused his position and authority while on duty when he was serving as Bureau Chief of the Đại um, Đồng newspaper. They brought up an old charge to silence his voice, basically. Another independent journalist in prison currently is Nguyen, Nguyen Deng Thuy. He is 70 years old. He's the vice chair of the Independent Journalists Association. Also arrested earlier this year at his home for, quote-unquote, making, storing, disseminating documents and materials for anti-state purposes. So he is one of several members of the Independent Journalists Association that have been arrested, and uh, he was also a contributor, a blogger for Radio Free Asia.
0: There are three people from the Independent Journalists Association have been arrested. I think they've been they've been indicted, and they could face a long time in prison as well.
2: Yeah, the situation, the the sentences we've been seeing in uh, recent recently have been getting harsher and harsher. So it's very concerning.
0: I mean, we could speak at length about all the journalists and bloggers and Facebook users who've been arrested just in recent months. Maybe you can tell me, why do you think that the Vietnamese authorities have been cracking down so severely on independent voices this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been a very tough year. Um, And recently, you know, Amnesty International, in that report on censorship and criminalization, um, put the number of prisoners in conscience at the highest on, on record since they have been keeping track, uh, about 170 prisoners of conscience, I think um, 69 or so, uh, about 40% uh, of those prisoners are, have been held based on their online expression. So uh, a lot of this has been happening this year because partly uh, we know that there is the 13th Party Congress that will be held by the Communist Party next year and obviously that's always a time that's um, prior to the Congress that's generally very sensitive. In previous years we've seen the number of arrests increase before these party congresses to silence the voices that will speak out um, at this time when the spotlight is on Vietnam. That's uh, one of the reasons that many anticipate the crackdown will continue and get more intense as we near the party congress uh, early next year other journalists have mentioned that the world has been occupied by the covid pandemic that hasn't helped vietnam one journalist said that vietnam no longer has any free trade agreements negotiations to worry about and uh, from the us side the administration has paid less attention to the human rights situation with everything that's going on covid etc so that has given vietnam's authorities space to crack down more and more and harsher on independent voices this year.
0: All right. So they basically don't feel like they're going to reap much negative effect cracking down Mm -hmm. on, on human rights. Now, as part of this process, you know, we learned that Vietnam has also been leaning on social media giants like Facebook and YouTube. Is this having an impact on the ability of Vietnamese to access independent news? I
2: think it definitely has. You have to know that Facebook is big everywhere, but in Vietnam, it's huge. Millions of people use it every day. And by state reports, two-thirds of the population are Internet users, and there are 96 million social media accounts in the country. So that's more than the number, you know, on par with the number of people Citizens mm-hmm. in the country, so so that's a huge number. And uh, this year, we learned from the Information Minister Nguyen we home himself, bragging about how they are working with Facebook and Google to remove content that um, they consider propaganda against the state or bad news, unfavorable news to the government. So they have been um, working closely and been, according to to their own reports, successful in getting these tech giants to remove content that they consider bad. I've just done a report on this and talked to a YouTuber, uh, an independent journalist, who said that hundreds of of videos have been removed from his account alone, from his YouTube um, account alone. And he spent months having to appeal to Google to have them restored. And he's been successful in that, but still he's lost months of being able to talk about things that the state media won't talk about or things that, you know, people can't get from mainstream um, state censored media. Not only has he lost that ability to share the news, to discuss news, but also a source of his income. So that kind of constant attack on these individuals, expressions, statements, videos online is creating a very negative effect. And in some cases, it's creating a self-censorship because, you know, these people don't want to have to deal with having to appeal to Google or Facebook to have their content restored. It's taking a lot of time. And so you see that it is having a direct impact on dissemination of independent news because Vietnamese, as we know in Vietnam, um, the media is censored, but the alternative that many, many people use now is to go to Facebook to get their source of independent news.
0: I mean, what are your thoughts about why the government is so sensitive about independent journalism and criticism online. I understand the the political situation now, they're gearing up for this big party congress that they have every five years to bring in a new top tier of leaders. But why, why do you think the government is so sensitive on criticism online?
2: I think it's just simply the fact that they want to hold on to power and present that unified front that they are the legitimate party to control Vietnam and the only party to control Vietnam. And so any form of dissent is a question mark on, on that legitimacy. So they're very sensitive to the independent voices, the criticism, because with power comes you know, many other benefits.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a great way to sum it up. Well, thanks a lot, Yang, for speaking with me about censorship in Vietnam and the the plight of RFAs contributors as well. We're always in our thoughts. Thanks a lot.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: That's all for this week from Eyes on Asia. But I have a postscript. After that last segment was recorded, we learned, happily, that Nguyen Van Hoa had ended his hunger strike after some of his demands to prison authorities were met. That's according to his sister, who has spoken to him again by phone. We'll be back again next week. You can find this podcast and RFA stories in English and other languages at our website, rfa.org. If you've any suggestions, questions, or feedback about the podcast, email us at eyesonasia, that's all one word, at rfa.org. I'm Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim, and produced by Red Air Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.